Welcome to Security Strategies in Government, sponsored by Anomaly on Federal News Network and 1500 AM. For today's show, we hear from a panel of experts on election security. The Cybersecurity Coalition held the panel at its recent CyberNext DC conference in Washington. First up, you'll hear from Megan Wolf, the administrator of the Wisconsin Elections Commission. More than 40 states have a Secretary of State that serves as the chief election official. But in Wisconsin, an administrator is appointed by a bipartisan commission to serve in that role. Here, Wolf explains how the state of Wisconsin's unique approach to elections impacts the way it handles cyber threats. And another way that we're really unique is that we are the most decentralized election administration system in the country. And what that means is that we run elections at the municipal level. Uh, most other states run elections at the county level. So in most states, you might see 50 to maybe 100 local election officials. In the state of Wisconsin, we have 1,850 municipal local election officials, in addition to 72 county election officials. So that brings our total to 1,922 local election officials. And so anytime we need to train on an election process or make sure that the locals have information. We're dealing with 2,000 people. Now, there are other decentralized states as well. Michigan is also decentralized. There's also differences, I guess, in what resources those locals have because we are so decentralized. So with 1,850 local election officials, um, those are cities, towns, and villages, over 1,200 of those are townships. So townships are our smallest jurisdictions. The smallest jurisdiction we have with its own local election official is a population of 37. And then you have the larger jurisdictions like Milwaukee, that's just under a million. And so figuring out how to make sure that we tailor what we need uh, to the, the needs of those jurisdictions. Another thing that's interesting about our election officials, so in those other states where they have the county election officials that are professional election folks that work in that arena, our local election officials, two-thirds of them are part-time. So two-thirds of them work another full-time job that has nothing to do with the municipality. They might be a retired person, and then they're working as an election official in their jurisdiction for maybe two to five hours a week um, as that municipal clerk. And they don't just do elections. Uh, so they have to know all the election laws, just like a larger jurisdiction like Milwaukee or Madison or Green Bay, but they only do those duties you know, in a couple hours a week. And they also have to do other things like licensing for their municipalities. So they're in charge of doing tax records, dog licensing, anything else that needs to be done in that municipality in that two to five hours a week. And so you can also imagine their budgets are really small. Um, and so especially when it comes to cybersecurity, a lot of times what we talk about, you know, at the local level is in a small township, something like $800 to buy the clerk a new computer is very consequential, right? Because $800 could fix the potholes in front of the grumpy guy in town's uh, house that he calls about every day, or it could buy the clerk a new computer. Nobody's calling the town board chair and telling them that they need to buy the clerk a new computer, but they are complaining about those potholes. And so what are they going to do in that situation? They're probably not going to buy the clerk a computer. And so a lot of times it's figuring out how we bridge those resource gaps. A lot of them also don't have any type of IT support at the local level, which is very different than some of the county-based systems, uh, the clerk might be the sole employee of that jurisdiction. And so I was just at one of our town association meetings, and there were about 350 of our local election officials from townships there. And I asked them, how many of you have IT support in your office? Any type of IT support, someone you could call if you had a virus on your computer, uh, some kind of event, and a single hand went up. And so in elections, we're finding ourselves having to bridge gaps that really aren't election specific, uh, but something really important for us to uh, try to address. Lindsay Forson is the cybersecurity program manager at the National Association of Secretaries of State. She said all 50 states work with the Department of Homeland Security on cybersecurity services, but Forson said the way states work with other federal partners can vary greatly. 
a lot of states are working with their national guards, but some states have many more legal constraints than others. Some states' guards are much more developed in terms of cyber teams than others. So the ability to utilize that resource varies greatly across the states. States work with universities, with um, independent security researchers, with nonprofits, and of course with private sector cybersecurity vendors. Who they are working with, there are a lot of factors that lead toward that. One is political culture. Although all 50 states are working with DHS in some way, there are more hesitation in some states than others among the election officials and the voters about having the federal government scanning systems and running penetration tests, as well as with the military. Some states would prefer to work with a private sector vendor. Most states are working with multiple partners, though, and that is you know, both for their own peace of mind, for um, building up voter confidence, and because of things like timing. You know, our members find DHS services to be very valuable, but some of those on-site services, it takes a while for them to be able to get somebody there. David Stafford is the supervisor of elections in Escambia County, Florida. He says election security vendors need to understand the wide spectrum of resources that individual counties may have for cyber defense. You have to understand where your customer fits on that on that spectrum, because something if you're coming to pitch something to a Miami-Dade County, it's going to be very different than coming into a, a smaller county or a medium-sized county, which is, you know, I've got 215,000 registered voters, a little over 300,000 residents, and I'm fairly well resourced as far as um, what, what we're able to get from our from our Board of County Commissioners. But understand that, that we don't have the same, number one, resources and number two, capabilities as something like a Miami-Dade does. So understand the customer and the diversity of the customers. And so a one-size-fits-all approach uh, simply doesn't work. So it's not easy. You know, you have to tailor those approaches uh, to the to the diversity of what you have. Again, we're not just talking between states. We're talking within it, within one individual state. Now, more than ever, there are a plethora of federal resources that state and local election security officials can use. But Wolf said it's important for officials to know that those resources will remain sustainable for the years to come. I know that in Wisconsin, we're dealing with this with federal funding, right? We received a one-time you know, federal grant for election security, um, and there were a lot of offers that we received um, as those funds came our way. But being able to analyze those resources and determine what's most useful and what will set us up to have a sustainable cybersecurity program well into the future. What we always try to remind our locals about is that there is no finish line when it comes to election security. Uh, The goals, the objectives, the tools and resources that we use are going to change every single day. Um, And if we get into the business of starting to say that there's going to be sort of an end game or or there's one single goal, I think we'd be in trouble um, because that landscape does change on a daily basis. And so we want to set ourselves up for long term success. Uh, The challenges that we face for cybersecurity are not going to go away anytime soon. And it's something that we need to make sure that, you know, we're not just addressing in a a one-time fashion, that it's something, again, that's sustainable. And I think that the real key to success there is probably in building those partnerships. So it's not something where, you know, we can make one-time purchases that are going to secure elections for all of time and we're we're good and we're set. Um, It's really something where you have to develop relationships and work with people that understand the changing landscape of elections and the complexity. Um, The fact that, you know, the the plan that we create together with our partners today might not be the plan that we need to protect elections tomorrow and into the future. And so uh, making sure that we have a dynamic set of resources and tools available 
available to us that are especially sustainable as well. And then, you know, also making sure that we consider the smaller election jurisdictions as well um, as we're looking for the resources and tools that we need to protect elections. Um, and one of the things I know we talked about uh, with the, the other panelists is, is there some kind of a model out there where we can look at small to medium-sized businesses and sort of what tools are used to protect those and apply some of those principles to the smaller jurisdictions, the smaller election jurisdictions. Because uh, the larger election jurisdictions, they're going to have IT teams, they're going to have support and resources. Uh, but when we talk about the, the smaller jurisdictions, and it's not just Wisconsin and the states that are municipal-based, uh, there are a lot of smaller counties. Like David said, in all of the states, there are some really small counties that have very limited resources and they're not going to have IT expertise. And so how do we tailor the needs and the tools and the resources to those jurisdictions as well? Stafford said that unlike other critical infrastructure, elections have to be 100% secure and 100% accessible. And that distinction as critical infrastructure is less than three years old. Here, he gives an overview of some of the lessons learned around that designation. Nobody really knew in the elections world what a critical infrastructure designation was. And I can tell you that from working very closely with DHS and FBI and, and a lot of other federal partners, I don't think they really had a clue what elections were all about on their side either. So there was a this great educational process that's been occurring over the course of the last couple of years in both sides kind of learning a little bit about uh, the other. And I thought that's, that's huge progress. If you look at where we were in January 2017, um, before the end of the year, I think it was October, was when the Government Coordinating Council uh, was established. That I mean, that's lightning speed in the world of the federal government, in my opinion, you know, having observed the federal government for, for, for many years. Um, and then the, the progress that we made between 16 and 18 in securing the elections, the, the amount of information sharing, uh, again, that is, that's something that we hear a lot about. There, there's a tremendous amount of, of information sharing uh, that occurs. Uh, let, me, let me give you an example in the state of Florida. Florida was the first um, state in, in the union to have all of its local elections jurisdictions behind an Albert sensors. And so not only did you have it at the state level, which is, you know, you find, uh, I think, across the country, but they're also collecting that information at the local level so that all that information is not only benefiting the state of Florida and helping us secure our systems, but also benefiting the rest of the country because we're able to feed all that information up through CIS and the EII SAC and the MSI SAC to go out to, to, to everyone else. Uh, we're also, we were, the I think, the first state uh, in the country to have all of its, again, local jurisdictions uh, as members of the EII SAC. So, um, it, just the, again, the establishment of the EII SAC uh, in a relatively short uh, frame of time, I think, was a, uh, was a success. So probably the other thing is that I would say is that it's being portrayed, it's been portrayed that, you know, all of a sudden uh, election officials started paying attention to, to security. Election security has been front and center for in elections for some time. What has changed uh, is sort of the landscape. So we've always focused on securing our infrastructure, our voting infrastructure, our voting machines, whether it was lever machines or optical scans or DREs or what, what have you. There, there was always a focus on securing that in ballots as well, the paper ballots. There's there's in polling places, security, security was, was front and center. What I think what emerged was everything else, right? Everything else that we have that helped, helps run our operations at the local level, uh, which again is not unique to elections, but because elections are involved, uh, there's, a, there's a unique vulnerability and threat there that has to be uh, managed. And so, again, knowing the, the diversity and the resource differential, I think we've made tremendous progress. The, the partnerships 
uh, between the, the local, the state, and the federal government on this issue, I think, are, are, are very, very good and very robust. It's not without its, its, its hiccups along the way, but just the fact that everybody, just in the, take the government coordinating council, for example, you've got secretaries of state sitting at the table with state election directors sitting at the table with uh, local election officials. Um, with you know folks from the EAC and the DHS uh, and, and all the federal partners there, uh, you're having good dialogue, and so we wor- we we're, we have a system in place to work through some of these uh, thorny issues. Uh, but I think it's 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 working. There's a lot of work you know, yet to do, and and you all play a tremendous part in that. But there is progress being made, and I think it's uh, we're we're positioning ourselves well going into 2020, understanding that the threat's not subsiding, but that we have to remain vigilant. But uh, but work is being done, um, and you all again play play an important role in helping us. Forsen agreed that a lot of progress has been made on election security since 2016. A lot of that progress has been around individual states and individual jurisdictions taking steps to secure systems and substantial progress has been made in terms of information sharing intergovernmentally. Establishing the election infrastructure ISAC has been a huge part of that, helping to get information out up to the federal government or up to the ISAC and the federal government and then back out to states and locals. That has been huge. We recognize that we still have a long way to go, both in terms of securing individual systems and information sharing. Um, NAS and the National Association of State Election Directors, we still do a lot of work around connecting our members to federal partners and getting questions answered about, you know, what is the FBI doing with the intelligence they receive? Forsen went on to say that state and local cyber officials continue to face challenges finding trusted vendors and research partners. And as you all know, finding the cybersecurity talent that is needed is a challenge, right? We have a workforce shortage and it's particularly a challenge for the public sector. And so the need to work with vendors to receive cybersecurity as a service in election administration, that's not going away. And the need for public-private partnerships, that's not going away. And I think we have seen a lot of improvements in that area. Um, Yeah, one thing to flag that Neil alluded to is that, you know, there is a sense among election officials that cybersecurity vendors come out of the woodwork when there's money. And, you know, when the 2018 HAVA funds came out, NAS got a lot of um, a lot of emails about people wanting to share information with our members and our members got a lot of emails and these local election officials who may not have an IT staff got a lot of emails. And um, the same thing happens when state funds come out. And there's a real challenge there of knowing, you know, who's reliable, who to trust. Um, There's been some difficulty coming from vendors offering free services and that just turning into a sales opportunity. Um, So, you know, that's something we still have to work on. Um, Our members are are asking us, you know, how how do we know? How do we vet cybersecurity vendors? And um, we're talking to cybersecurity vendors to try to help with that answer. But, you know, as an association, we're not in a position to recommend particular private sector companies to work with. Some do um, rely on the General Services Administration um, procurement schedules to see who is approved for the federal government to work with. That's one avenue folks have gone down. But that's certainly a challenge. In terms of the security research community, there are improvements being made. You know, early on, there was some animosity going in both directions. And and some misinformation that came out as well um, that had that created a lot of challenges. But I think within DEFCON and outside of DEFCON, within independent researchers, there are definitely improvements being made. 
I think there's still a ways to go. Um, you'll see some of the voting or some of the villages at DEFCON are much more ma mature than the voting village, but it's moving in the right direction. And there is more of an appetite among states to want to work with independent researchers, and some of them are. And there's more of an appetite among independent security researchers to reach out to the states and locals and work with them directly as well. When it comes to building trust between the public and private sectors, Wolf said the key is to develop responsible partnerships. Cybersecurity is one of those arenas where you have the opportunity to really exploit people's fears um, and emotional response to not understanding something um, and, you know, being able to, to leverage that to, to make a profit. And, you know, I think it's always our hope, um, especially in this, uh, you know, new landscape for election security, uh, that we're able to kind of rise above a lot of that uh, to be able to responsibly partner in a way um, that gets states the things that they need, gets the local election jurisdictions the things that they need so that we can protect our democracy. And I think, you know, um, if, if we can strive towards that common goal of protecting our democracy in a way that's responsible, um, I think that, you know, that is, is huge. I know it's a, a giant ask, um, but I think that's probably one of the biggest things we're looking for. And we saw a lot of the opposite um, as we got a lot of the um, HAVA security funds in um, 2017 and, you know, continually uh, throughout as we head into 2020, where we're getting a lot of offers sent our way uh, that are really looking to exploit or uh, fears about cybersecurity. And at the state level, I have resources to be able to look through those offers and decipher what's meaningful and what's not, um, and to be able to research things about how we're going to recommend what product to use. We have that expertise in the state. But when it comes to some of our local election officials, they do not have that expertise. That was Megan Wolf, the administrator of the Wisconsin Elections Commission. This has been Security Strategies in Government, sponsored by Anomaly. I'm Jory Heckman.